Welcome to Global Dispatches, a podcast about foreign policy and world affairs. I'm your host, Mark Leon Goldberg, editor of UN Dispatch. And in this show, we discuss topical global issues, have conversations with foreign affairs thought leaders and newsmakers, and give you the context you need to understand the world today. Go to globaldispatchespodcast.com to learn more. And now on with the show. On February 24th, the very first shipments of a COVID-19 vaccine from COVAX arrived in Ghana. COVAX is the international cooperative effort around the development and distribution of safe, effective COVID-19 vaccines. It is a multilateral platform in which countries have banded together around research, development, and production of COVID-19 vaccines. One key aspect of COVAX is that it supports the provision of vaccines to countries in the developing world, like Ghana, that may not have the capacity to purchase sufficient doses on their own. So, COVAX is how many developing countries will get a COVID-19 vaccine. And on February 24th, Ghana became the first country to receive COVID-19 vaccines through COVAX when 600,000 doses of the Oxford-AstraZeneca vaccine landed at the international airport in Ghana. And on hand at the airport to receive these doses was an old friend of mine, Awusu Akoto. He is the founder and CEO of a Ghanaian cold-chain logistics company called FreezeLink. The vaccines need to be kept at a very cold temperature to maintain their efficacy, so FreezeLink was hired to transport the vaccines from the airport. It was an historic day for COVAX, a hopeful day for Ghana, and an exciting moment for my friend who started this company just a couple years ago as a social enterprise to combat food waste in Ghana. When he texted me some photos from the airport, I knew it would be a great idea to have him come on the show to discuss the events of the day and also the sometimes unheralded role that cold chain logistics play in a country's economic and social development. This is a great conversation. It came together at the last minute uh, after I saw a flurry of texts and photos that Awusu sent me. So I'm really pleased that we were able to find a time to chat so quickly after this event. Uh, Awusu makes oblique reference to how we've known each other since the mid-aughts. But I do want to make explicit that the reason we know each other is that we are both alums of a great human rights fellowship program in which we participated in college called Humanity in Action. If you are a college student, I'd strongly encourage you to check out this organization, and I'll place a link to it in the show notes of this episode. For now, here is my conversation with Owusu Akoto, founder and CEO of the cold chain logistics company, FreezeLink. Looking for a trustworthy podcast to bring you unfiltered viewpoints and experiences on global health? Tune into Global Health Matters, the podcast that connects silos and amplifies diverse voices to give you a holistic picture. Each month, Dr. Gary Aslanian from the World Health Organization hosts discussions with guests spanning former ministers of health, award-winning journalists and authors, and frontline public health workers. 
Join listeners from across 180 countries for an exciting Season 4, launching in June. Global Health Matters is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. I couldn't sleep, first of all. (laughs) Uh, I received a call on the day before, uh, late in the evening, and it was from... um, uh, one of the officials bringing in the COVID vaccine to say, look, we know that it is short notice, um, but, but we need you to be, be there for us. Wait, you, had, you just had a one day heads up to manage it was, this? It was, it, was actually, uh, it was actually less than 12 hours. <laughs> wow. So we received the call uh, in the evening and um, because of the adrenaline in my system, I was up at four o'clock in the morning. Now, ordinarily, when our team does deliveries of, of uh, anything, vaccines, um, agricultural products, uh, the team go by themselves. On this occasion, w- wanted to make doubly sure that everything went according to plan. Uh, so, so got up at four, tried to sleep uh, for an extra hour, didn't work, uh, and uh, went to the office and met the team there. There was an element of it being a bit surreal that, you know, I, I, I unfortunately lost uh, a 49-year-old cousin uh, who, who, who had, we had his funeral last week. And so the bit of a, well, there is, there is a gray cloud uh, mm. uh, on, my, on that half of the family. And uh, just the idea that, you know, all of the, all of the, the, the sadness and the disruption uh, to our lives, that, that the beginning of the end of that was about to land on the tarmac, mm. uh, which we would end up being on to meet the, the, the COVID vaccine and, and take it into uh, um, a, a medium-term storage at our national vaccine repository. Well, I'm, so, I'm, first of all, I'm, I'm sorry to hear about your cousin, Owusu, uh, who you mentioned, I think, before we were chatting, uh, succumb to COVID. Um, and you were mentioning earlier, you know, before we started recording, that, you know, in 2020, Ghana had been largely spared, but it's come roaring back this year, COVID has, in, in Ghana. Uh, and so these these vaccines could not have come more urgently, it seems. Uh, absolutely. I mean, it's. I would say that COVID felt like a theory uh, for many of us in in Ghana. We we knew that it existed, um, uh, but but in terms of being personally affected, um, you know, people in my circle, many other circles, uh, we didn't we didn't actually feel it. It was something that happened primarily elsewhere. We would read about COVID ravaging Western Europe and, and, and the U.S., um, but it wasn't happening here for the most part. Uh, all that changed in, in 2021. And uh, obviously, we're still early in the year, but um, it just seems like very few people uh, do not know somebody who has been directly uh, affected at this point. So as you say, uh, the, the vaccine really couldn't have come, come quicker for us. Obviously, so- it, Sorry, Mark, but obviously in Ghana, our, our health system, our health system is 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 uh, is threadbare. Our, our health system is is taxed during the best of times, and uh, you know doctors will tell you that uh, there are a lot of the hospitals are full because of COVID COVID uh, cases. So um, the timing, the cut to t- timing, couldn't have come earlier. Um, so you met a flight uh, that was carrying what six hundred thousand doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine um, at the tarmac of what the the main airport in Accra. 
Yeah, Kotoka International Airport. What what happened? Talk talk to me about that scene. It was interesting on the radio on the way to the tarmac. We were hearing uh, the the radio announcers make the announcement that the government was uh, holding a, a ceremony to bring in the COVID vaccines, and they were finally coming this morning. And uh, we drove into to the airport, a section of the airport which I obviously hadn't been before, uh, which goes straight straight from. Uh, the outside directly to the tarmac. And we got to the tarmac and uh, there were a lot of people there. So there were a lot of people in high-vis vests. Uh, and uh, those were, uh, many of them were, were holding microphones. Uh, mm. So clearly a lot of journalists, there were a lot of uh, uh, cameras on, on stands. Um, so that, that took us a bit by surprise. We knew that there would be media. We'd been uh, forewarned that there would be a lot of media there. Um, but still surprised about the numbers. And then um, uh, there were two planes on the tarmac, so it wasn't so clear which of the planes was the one holding the goods. And so um, uh, we saw that there was activity with the, with the uh, midsection of one of the planes, an Emirates plane, slowly opening, and it just became clear and obvious that that was that was the plane uh, that was carrying the the vaccine. So, I, a a a vehicle that looks like a a tractor um, carried very very slowly, somewhat dramatically, uh, went to this plane uh, to pick up the 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 trays, if you like, of product, which we ended up understanding was not only vaccines but syringes that had been. Uh, donated uh, via the COVAX mechanism, as well as uh, boxes, safety boxes, in which the syringes would be kept. And so it was It was all, you know, just, uh, I think the, the combination of it being such a momentous occasion, uh, then combined with <laughs> the lack of sleep <laughs> yeah. um, and, and the suddenness of, of, the, of the moment, um, it just, it just uh, made it all seem... Um, a bit surreal, and, and and perhaps combined also with the fact that uh, you know, um, for for those who have who have lost people, uh, and in the way that COVID has really hit Ghana all of a sudden and and quite recently, um, it just uh, it was it was it was a special moment. Yeah. So, can you, you send me some pictures over WhatsApp so I have a sense of what it looks like? But can you just describe like what does six hundred thousand? doses of a vaccine that needs to be transported in the back of one of your trucks look like? Um, and what does that in, involve? And, and they, how cold do they have to be kept? Great question. So um, the, the, the storage areas of planes uh, generally will carry vaccines. So a lot of vaccine the vaccine trade internationally is done on uh, commercial flights as opposed to cargo mm. flights. This is, uh, I should say, this is actually something I learned early on in the pandemic when I interviewed a uh, healthcare professional in the Central African Republic who was concerned that, or no, not concerned, who had these routine childhood vaccinations were mm. completely disrupted when all commercial air travel was disrupted yeah. early in the pandemic. They just couldn't get their hands on vaccines and transporting them by a private commercial flight was just far too expensive for like UNICEF to, to fund. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. So so we, we were looking at this... Uh, large Emirates plane, uh, uh, which happened then to be the one carrying the mm. vaccine. 
And so, you know, when, when the, the, the vehicle that looks like a tractor um, brings uh, several trays, I would call them, of cargo towards where we were, we, we, all you see is things that, that look like boxes covered by tarpaulin. So it wasn't so impressive looking um, up until the point where you're actually unraveling the, the, the gifts, if you like, uh, and then that uncovers boxes and the boxes are perhaps um, five feet tall and they're all on, on, uh, on pallets, wooden pallets. And uh, the, the boxes actually contain um, ice packs and ice packs help to keep the, the vaccines at the requisite temperature, which is uh, between two and eight, uh, two and two and 10 degrees in our case. Mm-hmm. So it, it all looks, it all looks actually quite, quite normal. I mean, there are boxes on, on pallets, um, but, you know, really understanding what is in the boxes and, uh, the meaning of it that 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 adds a bit of uh, a bit of gold dust to the occasion. So they these um, vaccines that must be must be kept at that very cold temperature um, are what they're loaded into your trucks at this point that which have the capacity to store goods at that temperature. Yes, exactly. And like, do so, six hundred thousand doses of a vaccine does that fit in like one truck? How, how many trucks are we talking about? Yeah, so so <laughs> that's great. So so uh, it, it fits it fit in two trucks. So we were accompanied by the Gun Health Service. Um, a lot of the uh, a lot of the infrastructure around vaccine deliver- delivery in Ghana and other places are delivered by the private sector. So the Ghana Health Service were there with a vehicle, and then we were there with our vehicle. And between the two of us, we had our you know temperature control units, load boxes. Uh, in which the the vaccines were kept, so that yeah, that's that's the way that's the way that it worked. Mm-hmm. And and where did you take those vaccines in your truck? Yes, so so uh, we were accompanied by a uh, policeman with a la very loud siren on a motorbike, uh, <laughs> and we went to Kolebu, and Kolebu is Ghana's largest hospital, and it is in that hospital where we have our national vaccine repository so all the vaccines and and we uh we at, at freezing do regular uh deliveries of, of vaccines for things like tuberculosis measles rubella and uh all, all the every time the pickup point uh which is the the the, the location of the long-term storage for these vaccines is our largest hospital and so that is where the vaccines were deposited and uh, since then, the government has made the announcement that the first vaccines will be distributed from there mm. uh, uh, as quickly as Tuesday next week. So are the vaccines, they're staying at this facility that's able to maintain that cold chain. Uh, it's obviously a very large facility, like a, presumably like a very large warehouse that's able to keep temperatures that cold. Yes, exactly. So, so we work with a company called Zipline. Which is a very, mm. very, very interesting company, and they—I've seen it in action. It blew my mind. Um, so, but yeah, go, go. I didn't realize you worked with them. Yes, so they are a um, very innovative company that does distribution of medicine to rural areas using drones. Yeah. So they use unmanned drones to um, basically they, they they stuff the unmanned drones with boxes in the boxes are blood and vaccines um, and, and freezing uh, distributes blood and vaccines 
And uh, they then launch the drones into the air and they send them to a predefined point. And then when the drone reaches that predefined point, the midsection of the drone opens up and then the box falls out and mm-hmm. a parachute opens. And this is how Zipline distributes vaccines to rural Ghana. So we actually do the ground transportation uh, for Zipline. So oh. when the products need to be taken or the blood needs to be taken from the vaccine repository uh, uh, to their depots around the country, we are the ones to do the pickup and the distribution. So it is a, a path well-trodden for us. And we're just really excited to add the, the COVID-19 vaccine to that operation. That's amazing. So yeah, when, when we saw each other last a couple of years ago in, in Ghana, I had the occasion uh, to visit uh, Zipline, one of like Zipline's bases, uh, mm. just a couple hours outside of Accra. So basically you're, you're going to be the company that takes that COVID vaccine to that drone station. And I'll, I'll try to post a video. I have it somewhere on my phone. I'll, I'll post it to the website for listeners to see how this works in action. But basically I saw um, a Zipline sort of demonstration uh, in right. which um, we um, went to the base, they you know, launched a drone from the base, and then we drove to a um, hospital or kind of a rural hospital in the area. And we saw them just like deliver a package. Um, it was just it was just wild to see and amazing. And that's interesting to see how um, that is going to be the way in which the COVID vaccine makes it to more rural hospitals that uh, in order to maintain that cold chain. Yeah, yeah. And and the wonderful thing also about what they do is that they are able to they're able to deliver almost just in time vaccine delivery. In rural Ghana we have challenges around uh, electricity. So how do you keep vaccines cold uh, when there is no electricity or intermittent electricity in rural areas where there is no uh, elect- uh, generator uh, at the backup to the national grid? One answer to that is to drop the vaccines to those areas in small doses, which is exactly what Zipline does. So it's a it's a it's a it's a it's a great model, and it's um uh, I, I I didn't know that you'd actually went gone to visit them. Well, let me like take a step back, and and um I know a little bit of the story, but I would be thrilled if you could tell listeners a bit of how you got into this this line of work, cold chain logistics in Ghana. Uh, where, like, how did you come up with this idea to create this company? And um, uh, how has it evolved in uh, the couple of years since we saw each other? Yeah, great question. Uh, wh- where do I start? Maybe I'll start with um, 20 years ago, I left Ghana uh, as a student in the US. And that's where I met, met a, a bright young spark called Mark Goldberg. <laughs> Too kind. <laughs> Uh, soon, soon after um, studying in the U.S. for my first degree, uh, I thought international criminal law was was the field for me. Um, and after spending time in the international community, for example, in in in, in Bosnia, uh, I, I I did call Sarajevo home at some point. Um, I realized that there's so many great international criminal lawyers already in the world. Um, but how about managers? Uh, I, I really enjoyed and thrived on getting into the nuts and bolts of managing uh, budgets and people and plans. And it occurred to me that that was my contribution. 
So then the question became, how do I gain exposure to how the best run companies were, the best companies in the world were run? And so the question, the answer to the question was management consulting. And supply chain always was very interesting to me because of the international element of it. Uh, I studied international relations way back in the day and uh, supply chain was a manifestation of international relations in a, in a very interesting way. So that's how I ended up uh, in management consulting uh, in mainly in Europe for, for about 10 years. Uh, did some very interesting work with uh, um, consumer goods companies like Procter & Gamble and Unilever and Nestle. Uh, but I also did very fascinating projects with, with government. So I uh, worked with the Australian public sector on their project to expand internet to rural Australia. Uh, I worked with the UK government on their uh, project to uh, deploy GPS enabled tagging devices. And all of this time, uh, you know, coming back, coming back was uh, at the back of my mind. And, and the question was, how can I make a contribution? And then something happened in baby 2013. And that is that uh, so family of mine, a family member of mine uh, set up a meat distribution business and I was close to the business. And, you know, the thing that surprised me the most was uh, how little third party infrastructure he had. So he, he couldn't access rent for a, uh, a, a refrigerated vehicle. He could not rent a refrigerated vehicle. The market didn't exist. He couldn't uh, go to a warehouse and say, I want to only rent two pallet spaces. It was either take the whole thing or don't take it at all. And in some ways, it was that combined with one key thing. And that was how I really find uh, post-harvest losses mind-boggling. Mm -hmm. now, now, when I was younger, you would hear about post-harvest losses, post-harvest losses, without really appreciating it. Now, and and the, this, these are like... Uh, the like basically food that spoils because farmers can't get it to market? Yes, precisely. So food that spoils uh, before it gets to market, and it may spoil because of the harvesting practices. Um, one of the reasons why it, it, food spoils is because of the lack of cold chain. And cold chain is not the only reason, but it's a big reason. And so it just occurred to me that, look, if I'm going to come back, I'm going to work on a big, ugly, enduring problem uh, and, and, and work on something which uses my knowledge and expertise in supply chain. This had to be it. So the idea of freezing was born. Mm. And, and how big is it now? So if you look at our organogram, you will see uh, 22 people. Um, half of them are uh, outsourced, if you like, they're third party. And then the other half are, are, are on our payroll. Um, so at the moment, we do uh, deliveries of packaged goods um, to retail outlets, supermarkets. Uh, we do work in the, in the agric sector, uh, whereby we help farmers to access and install and maintain um, temperature-controlled boxes so that they can finally keep their their produce in, in the right temperature to prevent, to prevent all of that waste. And then we obviously we also do work in, in the pharmaceutical sector, distributing blood and, and vaccines to medical facilities around the country. 
And occasionally you get uh, calls in the middle of the night from health ministers <laughs> seeking <laughs> emergency use of your cold chain logistics. That's yeah, incredible. Uh, yeah, the, occasionally. Uh, you, you'd be surprised. Um, you'd be surprised uh, how many times that has actually happened. It's not the first. <laughs> So I, I mean, what um, what's like the future of cold chain in in Ghana right now? Presumably, you know, you're you're working towards your ultimate um, goal, which was to reduce food waste in in the post harvest waste in the country. Which is what I remember you telling me about why you started the the um, company a few years ago. Is that you know precise social problem? Um, where do you see the future of of both? you know, your company and also just the, the issue of cold chain logistics um, headed in Ghana? Yeah, it's a great question, Mark. So I see the, I see the challenges and opportunities in the first mile and the last mile. So uh, let's say that you are a, a, a farmer and you want to get your produce to the main population centers. Obviously farms are farms are in rural areas right so so how do you get your produce to the the to Accra to Kumasi to Takradi um, and how do you get them there without the, the produce being spoiled uh, you need you need temperature controlled infrastructure so in that space I see that we will have an increasing involvement in 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 uh, helping farmers access cold storage um, I visited a, a pack house, uh, and in the pack house was a, a cold room, and this was for mangoes in the in Ghana's eastern region. And uh, when I asked how much the, the the whole facility costs, and I was with the uh, construction company, they said that it costs between two and three million US dollars. Now, um, and it was donor funded and everything else. How many farmers have access? even commercial farmers, even commercial farmers who do export, how many farmers have access to that type of capital? And what is happening in our field is that there are equipment manufacturers who are now uh, able to produce tried and tested solutions um, whereby it's almost like a box. It's a big, big box. And so you can buy a box and that will be a warehouse. And believe me, it's not going to cost you two and three million US Mm -hmm. dollars. Um, can you just maybe finally explain the significance of cold chain to the economic and social development of Ghana and by proxy other countries uh, in the developing world that, um, you know, that, that don't have the kind of cold capacity for cold chain that Western countries do? Why is cold chain an important global development issue? Sure, Mark. Great question. So <clears throat> food, food and pharmaceuticals, so key, right? In Ghana, the largest sector by population uh, economically is, is agriculture. Um, and that is the case for most of sub-Saharan Africa. So if you want to have a social impact, um, the first place you start is, is with farmers because they are, they are the largest segment. And farmers are poorer because of the lack of access to temperature-controlled infrastructure, whether it's transportation or whether it's, it is warehousing. Uh, so that is certainly point number one. And when it comes to, uh, when it comes to 
really exploiting the area where countries like Ghana have a natural advantage over maybe other countries. Um, the other element of, 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 of agriculture is getting your products to market. So, you know, I've been to, I've spoken to many small supermarket owners and, you know, they, they want to sell perishable products, which are grown by Ghanaian farmers. Uh, but, you know, they don't have uh, access to the fridges and the freezers. Uh, or maybe they do, but they don't know how to get the product affordably from the farm to the fridge or the freezer. And so that cold chain is so essential to uh, helping to feed our growing cities, and but also helping to make sure that our, our farmers are, are un, not unnecessarily impoverished by their lack of this infrastructure. And then the final thing maybe from a development perspective is, is pharmaceuticals. Um, so much, it's been amazing as a, uh, a cold chain company for us, uh, how our niche um, area has really become a mainstream topic. And it's been, it's been wonderful that it's brought the attention. But you know, what, what, what hasn't been discussed so much is how even with our existing cold chain infrastructure, if you put aside the requirements of distributing you know, 80% of all our populations to get her herd immunity. Uh, we, we already have, uh, uh, you know, perhaps 25%, according to the WHO, of liquid, all liquid vaccines are spoiled because of the lack of cold chain. Um, may I ask, Mark, how many uh, deaths have there been at the moment from COVID in the U.S.? About 500,000 was the recent uh, milestone passed. Right. So, so 500,000, imagine if three times that number died at, who are children from vaccine-preventable diseases because of the lack of cold chain. That, that is the number, 1.5 million is the number that the IFC quotes uh, are the number annually of vaccine-preventable death amongst children because of the lack of cold chain. So on, on, when it comes to food, when it comes to pharmaceuticals, uh, this is, uh, uh, in my humble opinion, an, an often overlooked uh, area of of, uh, of the development conversation. Well, well overlooked no more. Uh, Awusu, thank you so much. This is a really fascinating conversation. Uh, and again, congratulations for being part of history this week. Thank you. Thank you so much, Mark. It was a wonderful conversation. All right. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to Owusu. That was great. And uh, I'll post some photos uh, to globaldispatchespodcast.com as well as a link to a video of the drone delivery program that we discussed, Zipline. Uh, As I said, I I sort of witnessed their work in action and it kind of blew my mind. So uh, I'll post a link to a video I took of how their drones work. All right, we'll see you next time. Thanks. Bye.